Section 2 of Sri Nanyeshwar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sri Nanyeshwar, a sketch of his life and teachings. By Anonymous. Precocious beyond comparison, of an extremely joyous disposition, and with the powers of the spirit early awakened, these children, if children they must be called, literally enjoyed their poverty, laughed at persecution, and drew the highest lessons of life from the most trying vexations. In all the works that they have left us, and they all wrote religious treatises, poems, etc., you will not find a single thought, one unguarded expression that reveals a trace of that misery which was their daily experience. The works of Nyanadev, our hero, better known by the name Dhyaneshwar, are brimful of that ecstasy which mocks at sorrow and delights in suffering. He was not of a militant disposition. He was not the kind of man described by St. Ramdas. His piercing look strikes terror into the heart of the wicked and makes them conscious of the meanness of their souls. On the contrary, all his conquests have been conquests of love. It is true that a miracle worked by him is said to have brought the pandits of Paitan down to their knees. When we remember the strong strictures, footnote, on one occasion he says, Is it not wonderful that ordinary people should insist that a real sage must occasionally exercise supernatural powers, when we remember that he is quite oblivious of his own person, even? What a stupid bigotry! End of footnote. He has passed against any abuse of spiritual power. We might well pause before we accept the story. The obstinacy of the pandits must have been conquered by his love. He was too modest to argue, too forbearing to quarrel, too gentle to fight. If in moments of ecstasy, felt while discoursing upon religion, he allowed words of pride to escape him, it was no mean vulgar personal pride. He was proud of his god, of his guru, and of his granta. While extolling the granta, he never praised himself, but attributed all inspiration to the grace of his guru. Though poor in wealth, India is by no means so in spirit, and yet in all the religious biography of so many centuries one hardly comes across such a picture of magnificent spirituality thriving in the wilderness of crushing misery. But whatever happiness the ostracized family derived from one another's company was soon to end. An event occurred which shows to what extent the perverse obstinacy of blind orthodoxy can go. The ceremony of wearing the sacred thread is of extreme importance in the life of a Brahmin boy. In fact, real Brahminhood dates from that ceremony. Everyone, therefore, can understand how anxious Vidalpant and his wife must have been to get that ceremony, Upanayana, of Nivritinath and Nyaneshwar, now ten and eight years old respectively, performed. They hoped that time and their own forbearance had appeased the anger of their villagers, and that no further difficulty on the point would be raised. They therefore broached the subject before the leading luminaries of their neighborhood, hard-hearted, though scarcely hard-headed, Shastris, who constituted themselves as the sole repositories of religious wisdom. But they were in no mood to grant justice or even mercy. For a sannyasin returning to the second ashram, they thought, there was but one punishment. The sin was monstrous, and the sentence, death, Believing without reason that their own death would make the path of their children smooth and their thread ceremony possible, 
Vidalpant and his wife once more saluted those Brahmins, trusted their children to the care of God, walked straight to Allahabad, and there, in the holy confluence of the three rivers, ended by one plunge their life, and what was more bitter still, their suffering. In the absence of detailed and authentic account, the conduct of Vidalpant appears to be improperly meek and extremely impracticable. Did he try to find out his old guru, or failing him some other pandit at Benares, or even in the Deccan, who would point to some favorable text on the point? We do not know. Footnote. See the Mitakshara commentary on Yananavalkya Shmriti, part 3, verse 280, for the penance prescribed for the sannyasin who wants to become a householder. The offense is not classed under the Mahapataka, or great sins but under Upapataka only. Vinya Neshvar, the commentator, quotes from Parashara a passage which says, A sannyasin is purified when he performs three krishashas and three chandrayanas, and all the ceremonies that have been performed since his childhood. Now, krishashas and chandrayanas are well-known and simple prayashitas, Another prayashita, quoted from Samvarta, is equally simple. The offense, therefore, of the religious legislators of Alandi becomes, to say the least, monstrous. End of footnote. The very text on which the Shastris of Alandi depended for their memorable but scarcely commendable sentence is not available. The facts, however, are faithfully recorded by Muktabai, the sister of Dhyaneshwar, and have to this day passed unchallenged. So ends the sad chapter in the history of Vidalpant's life. Now begins the brilliant career of his children. As serene and cheerful as ever, they discussed what the next step should be. Nivritinath, perhaps heartily sick of the dogmatism of the leading Brahmins of Alandi, was for no submission. Quote, what is that thread ceremony to me? He cried, I am holiness incarnate. End quote. But the hero of our present sketch, born as he was to lead the people instead of defying them, thought conciliation to be the best course. Quote, true, brother, true, he said. You are holiness incarnate. Who could doubt your purity? But look at the people and our duty by them. End quote. He then proceeded to explain how discipline is the ruling factor in society and pointed out how it devolved especially on the wise to obey its laws and to uphold its honor. Quote, Don't you see how, like an army without a general, the society is going to rack and ruin? If we, the wise, refuse to obey it, why should the ignorant do so, when they have every motive for defiance? Do let us go, brother, and bring the Shastris round. End quote. And forthwith they repaired to the leading Brahmins. Quote, we can't disobey the Shastras, they said, nor can we alter them. Your thread ceremony is impossible, but if you get a permit from the pundits of Paitan, then we are prepared to admit you to the privileges of a Brahmin. That we shall try to do, said Nyaneshwar, and off they started to Paitan. Footnote On the river Godavari, in the Nizam's territory, Paitan and Diogiri are both situated in the Nizam's dominions, but in those days they formed part of Maharashtra. End footnote. It is said that even the Pandits of Paitan at first refused to admit this brotherhood into the fold of Brahmanism, 
but being amazed at the miracle which Nyaneshwar wrought by making a buffalo recite verses from the Rig Veda, they, in terror and reverence, yielded and gave the necessary permit which enabled Nivritinath and Nyaneshwar to have their thread ceremony performed. But the putting on of the sacred thread was not with them the beginning of study. Rather, it was the beginning of their life's work, religious revival. At the feet of their father they had drunk deep of spiritual learning. Nivritinath, when a stripling of seven had come across a great sage, Sri Gaininath, at Triambakeshwar, near Nashik, who, struck with the attainments of the lad, initiated him into the mysteries of yoga. Yaneshwar, his junior by two years, became his disciple and throughout his short life referred to his elder brother as his spiritual master at the touch of whose blessing hand he had penetrated the unknown. But he was not satisfied with his own spiritual freedom. He had love infinite for his ignorant brothers and sisters in Maharashtra, and ever since his childhood his mind was busy thinking as to the best way he should help them. End of section 2 Read by Sandra, 2022